to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. I've found in my own life that I am in deep need of the Psalms. They teach us how to pray. They teach us how to worship. They give us language to talk about God. Whereas most of the books of the Bible are God speaking to us, the Psalms are us speaking to God, and yet His Word nonetheless. Notice with me this brief Psalm, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your holy word. Bless now this reading of your word to our own hearts. Bring us to a decision about you, O Lord. And may we say, when that decision comes, yes and amen. Amen. I don't know what kind of operating system you have on your computer, but I bet you have a computer. I, uh, I, can, I can almost bet that everybody in here has a computer that they work on, and so whether you're working from a Mac or whether you're working from a Windows uh, sort of operating system, I bet you've experienced what I've experienced before, and that is this spinning wheel of death. Yes? Some call it the beach ball of death. I call it the spinning wheel of death. It's this multicolored wheel that just sits there and spins on my Mac sometimes. Interestingly, I had prepared this illustration earlier in the week, and this morning, lo and behold, as I was doing some printing, I all of a sudden encounter the spinning wheel of death. Maybe for you, on a, on a Windows system, it's actually this flipping of an hourglass. Maybe that's all. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't deal in Windows anymore, so they may have updated that. Maybe they haven't, but you all maybe can remember a time where this thing is just flipping, and you're like, oh, you know, how... How flipping long is that going to last, right? And it just continues to spin. And what ends up having to happen, what you actually probably have done to your computer is you've just used it and overused it. You've got too many apps up. You've loaded it up with memory, and it's just had it. You know what I mean? It's just had it, just like we have sometimes in our life. Yes, we've loaded ourselves up with all these things, busying ourselves with all this stuff, and sometimes you just reach a breaking point, don't you? I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others' lives. And we, like that computer, there's only really a couple ways out, and they're kind, of, they're kind of nasty ways out, and that is a force quit, right? You've dealt with this before, you know? Control, alternate, delete, or command, alternate, 
whatever Apple thing. Uh, for the Apple, I always forget. I just start pushing stuff until it comes up. And then I force quit. You're right? You have to force quit your app. You're going to lose some of your work, possibly. You're going to lose all the tabs you had open. But you know what? You're not going to get past that spinning wheel of death unless you do that. Force quit. You know what, friends? I think during Christmas, during Advent, during this season of buying and spending and trying to organize schedules and family time and this to that, we can feel kind of like that computer that's overloaded, right? Some of us are already maxed out about Christmas and we're not even in December yet. You've already spent too much money already. You've already overplanned already. And maybe for you, you need to hit the force quit button. Maybe for you, maybe for me, there's some apps that are up that are running that need to stop. They just do. I know things will be lost and they always are. But in order to continue running, you've got to force quit. Or you can restart. You always just restart the whole thing. Just hold down the button until the thing restarts. And normally that fixes this problem. And you know what? I think Advent is a great time to restart. Truly, as Justin has already pointed out, today on this first Sunday of Advent is actually the first Sunday of the church year. So whereas we're still a few weeks away from our, you know, new year, January 1, the church is already restarting. Now what if... This season, through Christmas, all the busyness and all the things that are going on, parties, and we were able to restart. I think this psalm offers us a way to do that. Let's take a moment to look a little deeper into the words here. Notice the way the psalmist begins. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. What's in your depths? What's really deep down in? There's a lot of stuff that even your spouse, best friend, mom and dad may not know that's down in us. What's really the taproot of your life? You know, I don't know a lot about horticulture, but I know that if you're going to move a plant or a tree, you got to get the taproot. Right? It's that main root by which all the others spring from. And if you cut that thing or you damage that thing, it's, it's not good for the plant. It's probably going to die. You've got to be able to snag that. And I just wonder, in, in spiritually speaking, what really is the taproot of your life? How deep do those roots grow into Christ? There's this great verse in the Bible that talks about the love of God and that we are to grow down into his love. How deep really are our roots? And if they're not deep, isn't this a great time to restart? It's a new season. I know the days are darker, shorter. I don't like it. But you know what? There's some anticipation for when the day breaks. There's some anticipation for when the sun comes. And you know what? Just as you walked in this building from last week to this week there was a boom of light a boom of greenery symbolism so too in our own lives I think we can enter into a season not just of busyness 
but rather the business of Jesus. The business of God. The business of the kingdom. And restart. You know, in talking to people, oftentimes one thing that is said, more often than not, to the question, how are you? You know, you meet somebody, hey, how are you? How's things going? Oh, just been really what? Really busy. I mean, that's... Oh, I mean, you can, you can almost, if you're a betting person, you can bet that they're going to say something about being busy. If you hadn't seen somebody in a long time, they're going to say, oh, yeah, just, man, just, you know, we've just been really busy. One time I said that as a, a seminary student to one of my professors, and, you know, I wanted him to think, you know, that I was super busy, which I was. And you know what he said to me? I said, I said yeah, I've just been really busy with paper and this and reading and all that kind of stuff. Going over here and pastoring, doing youth work. And he said, he said, you know, it's not good to always be busy. Sometimes I think we're trying to convince ourselves that we're doing the right thing. We want others to think we're busy. We want to think we're busy. But being busy is not godly. Was Jesus too busy when he saw the crowds? Busyness is not godliness. Some of us need to force quit some things in our life in order not to be so busy. We're dry. There's no life. We've not nurtured the roots. And instead, we're wilting away. We need to restart. God needs to replace our heart with a new heart, not one of stone, but of flesh. He wants to give us that sort of restart this Advent. Not just our spirit, but His spirit in our spirit. He has come to live with us. But are we too busy? Honestly, God has come to live with us. I mean, if you think you're busy, don't you think God's busy? Approaching 8 billion people in the world? He knows everyone. He hears every heart. You think you're busy, and yet He comes to be with us. I wonder, honestly, I wonder about my own self. If I lived during the time of His coming in the first century world, would I have been too busy to notice I honestly think that's the reason the angels go to the shepherds. The shepherds were the scum of society. They had the lowly job. They weren't, that was not a high position, high paying job. And most of the time they just sat around and watched sheep. And yet they were invited to see the Christ child that night. Would I have been invited? Would you have been invited? Should we slow down? Isn't it time to slow down? What's in the depths of your soul? The psalmist cries out of the depths. Are your prayers prayers that are just superficial? Just sort of because you have to? Do you even pray? 
Maybe that's where we need to start. What's the praying like? Does it get down into our soul? Is it really us bearing our soul? Or are we just playing a game? I don't want to play a game. I'm not in this to play a game. This is not a game. Christ has come. Are we too busy for him? Are we going to turn the holy family away because there's no room in the end? I think it's time to force quit. Delete. Restart this advent. Notice the next stanza here. (laughs) If you, O Lord, were to mark iniquities, who in the world could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Praise be to God that he forgives us. If any of our iniquities, sins, transgressions were on the PowerPoint this morning, we'd probably want to crawl under our seat. If what's really deep down in our hearts, ground zero at the taproot level, were displayed here, what really motivates us, what really gets us going in life, some of us would be so embarrassed we'd never want to show our face to anybody in this room again, including me. And yet, and yet, he doesn't hold it against us. Can you believe that? Now, your spouse may. Your friends may. Your family may. They may not ever be able to forget what they saw if it were to be displayed. But God will. He promises to. He promises not to remember it again. Not to bring it up. The God who knows everything will never bring it up again when it's covered by his blood. But when it's not, he is one to be feared. Because as the writer of Hebrews says, you literally trample on the blood of Jesus Christ when he's offering you forgiveness in his blood and you reject it. Now, I don't think any of you, if you saw a dead body, would just go tromping across it in the blood. And yet, the writer of Hebrews shows us that that's exactly what we do to Christ, to God, when we refuse him. He is to be feared if we do not receive his forgiveness. Because on this first Sunday of Advent, we look beyond just this first Sunday of Advent to the second Advent. Advent is a Latin term, just means coming, his coming. He's coming back, remember? It's one of the last things he said, right? Do this to remember me. Why? Because he's coming back. He will stand upon the earth, King Jesus. The rightful king. And the question becomes for us, is that something to fear or to rejoice about? We just said that mysterious prayer a moment ago, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Are you able to pray that? Or is it, please don't come now, Lord Jesus. My heart's not ready. I've been there. 
I've been there. All of us have. We've been there. We've been not prepared for Christ. The good news this morning, my friends, is this. The Holy Spirit can prepare our hearts to meet King Jesus with joy. With joy. Not with fear and trepidation, but with joy and a heart filled with the very things that fill the heart of God. We can share in His heart. We can know His heart. It's what we call living with the end in mind. Recently at school... They made us redo our objectives. So each class, as you know, has objective. You've ever taken a college class or graduate level class. They give you these objectives they want to see. Well, now they call them outcomes. I think they just change things up sometimes just to make you do more work, you know. But they make these things called outcomes now that are supposed to be more measurable, right? So you'll be seeing this soon. Uh, if, you, if you go into schools or in the academic scene at all, you'll see these outcomes. You know what? I actually found it helpful exercise to, to do the outcomes rather than the objectives. They're slightly different, really. But I got to thinking, what is your outcome? What is my outcome? Where do we really want to end up? Honestly. I mean, honestly, what do you really want to do with your life? You only have one life. What's going to be the outcome of that one life? Is it just going to be busyness, business, going from one thing to the next, and you wake up 30 years later saying, what, what did I really do, give my life just to a company that then told me bye, see you later? Lost my family in the way? Destroyed relationships in the way? Don't you want to have something to show for at the end? You have to begin with the end in mind. And I think today, on this first Sunday of Advent, New Year for the church, is a day to think. Fast forward to 2017 and say, where am I going to be? What's the outcome that I want to see when I land back here on or, or last Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, 2017? Is he going to be truly the king? In 2017, for me, for you, what does it look like? And then how do we get there? These are questions that we need to ask in order to prepare our hearts for his coming. So the psalmist says, look, here, here's the solution right here. Hurry up and wait. You ever had to do that before? Hurry up and wait. Streaming along, late for work, and all of a sudden a traffic jam. You hurried up just to wait, right? As a child, don't you remember the holiday season, having to travel? At least I did. We, you know, all our family's in Mississippi, so we would have to go to Mississippi. And a five-hour trip seemed like a 15-day trip for a kid. You know what I mean? And Daddy was one of these people who, he doesn't run the radio. He just wants to talk as a family which means silence, pretty much. And Justin and I making up things in the back seat. And so it was torture coming on these trips and going on these trips. But there was a ray of light. It was called a Wavaho sign. 
although not just an Indian tribe, but rather a gas station on the hill near Flint, which is between Hartzell and Decatur. Some of you know where it is right there on 31. It's a Wavaho. Not, not all the lights always work, so it said weird things sometimes, but nonetheless, it was a Wavaho gas station, and we loved to see the light from that Wavaho. You know why? Because we were about a mile from the house. Oh, it was sweet joy when we saw that light. And at the end of a long trip, after waiting, it seemed like 15 days in the car. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. You've heard this before? Sometimes, don't we ask the same thing? Lord, how long? How long? I've been asking you to help me with this. This family member. This sin problem. How long, O Lord? You know, one of the constant refrains in the Psalms, one of the, one of the most repeated phrases in the Psalms is, How long, O Lord? Don't you think he knows how to speak for us? Don't you ask that question about the world we live in? How long, O Lord, is it going to be until we truly beat our AR-15s into plows? Take our hand grenades and throw them away and make them into something useful. That's the scripture we just read, wasn't it? Outside of one of the UNs is actually a picture of a man beating a sword into a plow. One day, friends, there will be no more war. One day, friends, there's going to be no more chaos in the world. But it's not this day. Not this day. This day, we wait. We watch for his coming. But we must not fall asleep at the will. You see, the psalmist gives us good hope here. He says, look, my soul waits. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. Today, as you've already heard, is hope. That's the theme for today. This first Sunday of Advent is the hope candle. But in hoping, that means waiting. Many of us don't like to wait. And when we don't wait, we end up doing it ourselves. And when we do it ourselves, we inevitably tie ourselves up into things that we are never meant for. All throughout the scripture, example after example, there are people who do not wait for the Lord, who do not trust the Lord, but rather trust themselves. And it spells out for us and them disaster. Waiting is tough. Many of us lose hope, but we must not. Some of us have relied on feelings, but feelings are not hope. You know, some people say, well, I didn't really feel much today in the service, or when I prayed, or when I read my Bible. So because I didn't feel much, not really going to do it again. It just didn't do much for me. But is that how you do other things? I don't always feel great about my children. Can I confess that? Is that okay on the record here? Should I turn this off? No, I don't always feel great when they're hurting other people, when they're doing things wrong. I don't always have a feeling of, oh, hey, buddy, I just, man. No, it's a very different feeling than that. But we don't rely on 
feelings. People say this all the time. Didn't really feel like Thanksgiving, did it? <laughs> I hear that all the time. Didn't really feel like, I don't really feel like it's Christmas yet. Well, can, can I suggest something to you? It doesn't matter how you feel. It was Thanksgiving. Doesn't matter how you feel. It'll be Christmas. Feelings are only a small portion of what it means to be a Christian. The Bible never says anywhere to us, you really need to feel jubilant all the time. No. You need to feel giddy. Get just a spine rush of a feel. No. But it does say trust in the Lord. It does say hope in His salvation. And those are things that may feel, feelings may come or feelings may go, but we remain steadfast. Do not rely on your feelings. You'll be jumping from this to that, chasing the wind. It's foolishness. Thankfully, God gives us these glimpses, though, doesn't he? Of his light. Just like all of a sudden, Justin and I in the back seat, we see the Wabaho sign. Yes, we're almost home out of this prison. Maybe sometimes life feels like that for you. And you know what? God has provided us glimpses of great joy. Sometimes they happen right here. Sometimes they happen on my way to work. Sometimes they happen when I'm getting ready in the morning, when I'm praying. God just gives an overwhelming sense of his presence. But I don't give up on him when he doesn't. When I don't feel giddy about God, I don't give up. I don't quit. Because that's what faithfulness is all about. Not how you feel about the person on your left or on your right, but doing the right thing. Thank God that the church is filled with people who are righteous. Not running around chasing a feeling, but chasing Jesus. Is that the desire of your heart? Of my heart? If not, let's close down some apps. Let's close some stuff down and restart. Then the psalmist says this, look, we've got to rely, verses 7 and 8, on God's nature. Don't rely on your feelings or my feelings or what I say or what you say, but rather let's rely on God's nature. What is his nature? Oh, he's merciful. He's merciful. And thanks be to God, he's merciful. Don't you need that mercy? I know I do. I need it every single day. <laughs> Even this week, God kind of gave me a swift kick and was like, what, what, what are you doing there? Oh, didn't notice that. Thanks for looking out for me. Are we sensitive to the Spirit at work in our life? Are we willing to let Him close down some things in our life in order to be more faithful to Him? What's really going to be the outcome if you just serve yourself, if you serve your work? Look, I know the Huntsville context. I know the rat race that is the engineering world. I know the rat race that is the work world, making money world. 
getting caught up in things world, chasing the Joneses. It's all chasing the wind. Can we look at the end of our life? My prayer for you has been, Lord, help people see what they really, what you really want to be in their life at the end. I mean on that final day. When the horizon breaks and the sun crests right over and is full. When he comes a second time, where do we want to be? His nature is always, always to have mercy. You remember Jonah, right? He learned the lesson the hard way. He's like the worst prophet ever. Truly, read his book. You'll find out quickly, like, what a jerk, you know? He's going to go up there and sit and watch people burn. He hated those people. But he, and you know, you know what really ticked him off in the book is that he knew God's nature too. He knew with those nasty terrorists, the Babylonians, he knew, or sorry, the Assyrians, he knew with those nasty Assyrians all the atrocities they had done to his own people, maybe even his own family. He knew that God was willing to still forgive them. That includes your enemies, the people who are against you. I know you got some, maybe. Maybe. Some of you don't even know you have some. That's what happens to me sometimes. Oh, I didn't know that person didn't like me. Whoops. With all our enemies, he wants to forgive them. That's why we're called to love our enemies and to forgive them. Whew. Don't you need his mercy in that? He goes from a person to a nation, Israel, and then to the nations, the psalmist here. And what he says is this, God is our rescuer. This is what he comes down to. This is his final word. Is he, notice this, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. Now some of you had some plentiful plates this past week, right? No? No amens? I did. Well, if you didn't, I'm sorry for you, because I feasted. I did. Probably won't eat for a week. I really will. I've already ate today again. Even though I told myself I wouldn't. You probably said the same thing. We had plenty. You know what? God has plenty of redemption for you. No matter where your story is today, he has plentiful redemption for you. He can rescue you from whatever you've gotten yourself tangled up into. Wherever you've landed or crashed... He can come in as the rescue party and set you upright. Praise God he can do that. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Maybe this morning you sort of feel like that spinning wheel of death. I won't say you look like that spinning wheel of death. But some of you look maxed out already. Okay, Just pastorally speaking, you look maxed out. That's all right. I understand. We get maxed out too. When we get maxed out though, you got to restart. You got to close some things down. That's the only way forward. You cannot continue to spin with no movement. It's not healthy. 
So this Christmas, what if this was a transformation for you? What if this really got you aimed at where God really wants you to be? Wouldn't that be a better gift than anybody could give you? Or that Black Friday could give you? Let this be something new this year. For you. For me. Hear the good news, and that is, wait. Wait. Wait upon the Lord. Just as they did at Pentecost. Wait upon His Spirit. Don't be so busy that you can't wait. And hope in him. Don't snooze. Don't get lazy. But rather. Delete some things from your life. And restart. With Jesus Christ. And what will happen is the light will break in. And he will. Fill you. With joy unspeakable. Full of his glory. Full of the weight of his life. Isn't that a better gift than we could ever buy? It truly is. Receive that gift this morning in his name. Amen.